Uh, just a little bit of back. Go ahead. A little bit of background about myself. Um, so formerly, um, I used to work at Deloitte and PwC for about 13 years. Um, I was mainly doing consulting. Uh, in the beginning, was doing SAP implementations and later on doing management consulting. Um, I also helped set up the first big four blockchain practice, I guess, in the world, um, which was out of pretty much Hong Kong and Switzerland uh, in PwC. Uh, so from a career perspective, um, I did touch a lot of the stuff that came into the, I guess, big four scene. Um, I guess, you know, we're one of the first big organ global organizations in the world that accepted Bitcoin as a payment in 2017. So if you search PwC Bitcoin, uh, you'll see a Wall Street Journal headline that says Bitcoin uh, accepted as payment. So when it comes down to, I guess, traditional tech, I'm more of a traditional tech kind of guy, but um, I've been in crypto for quite some time. I won't say like how long, but um, I guess when it comes down to the PwC stuff, uh, I've been quite involved. And I left um, Big Four after working there about 13 years. Um, I mainly looked after the investment banks um, out in APAC. So mainly like JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. And uh, early 2008, so I left the company because I had investment banks asking me to set, the, set up a crypto trading desk. This was 2017, December. And um, I left to just learn more about the industry. I understood that there was a lot more stuff happening uh, than what I knew and I got exposed to in the enterprise space. So I actually left uh, just to kind of learn more about the tech, um, invested in a lot of projects, um, kind of helped build a lot of projects since then. And what it comes down to fast forward to today is uh, last year, I co-founded a data company with um, Ali. So she's my co-founder and she's um, on the call as well. And for us is we've been in industry for quite some time and uh, we always had an interest in terms of the tech and innovation that was happening. And when it comes down to use cases, the first use case was peer-to-peer -peer payments. Uh, second one was DeFi, and the third is um, NFTs from being like an established use case. And what we noticed was starting last year, um, on-chain transactions started exploding. So of course, prior to this, you had on-chain transactions, but it wasn't really that useful. But when it came down to DeFi kind of launching, and having all those on-chain transactions, that meant um, digging through that data gave you an edge over maybe some of the other guys that were farming, doing yields, et cetera. So we were taking a look at that data. And the thing is, is that we were looking at different platforms that were made available. And it just, the platforms that were made available um, just didn't really cut it for us. Um, it was either it didn't have all the data or number two, it was too slow or number three, it just had a lot of downtime. And that's why um, Ali and I decided to co-found Nakji Network late last fall. And we've been building ever since uh, pretty much in stealth 
up until the time we did a, a fundraise a few months ago, that's when probably the first time we made public to our friends and family that we were working on this project. And fast forward today is we've been looking at data religiously um, every day, every hour of the day since last year. So we've been pretty much watching everything that's been happening real time when it comes down to a lot of the spaces. Of course, we can't spend all our time looking at everything, but we were, uh, and if we're DeFi enthusiasts, um, as well as NFT enthusiasts. So we were particularly interested in regards to the latest hot type of tech and projects that were happening because there was a direct correlations with that and prices and also including NFTs as well. So we made some predictions in the past and whether they're luck or it's because of our data, we've been fairly accurate in terms of but we don't try to predict prices, but just in terms of timing in regards to when things get popular or when things start to kind of top off. So a couple of examples without going to deep diving would be kind of like the first time like NFT popped and sushi went to 50 cents. We kind of called a, like it was the top uh, maybe about in the same month. Uh, same goes for um, the NFT cycle. Um, September 2, that's when kind of um, volume peaked on OpenSea. Um, and then also when it comes down to market data. So we take a look at everything that happens on-chain and then off-chain. So on-chain is Ethereum plus everything that's EVM and bridges and L2s and everything on it, uh, plus a couple of other layer one protocols. So we actually see everything real time. Of course, um, our platform right now is private, but we do plan to kind of make it public. So that's the background about myself, uh, a little bit about the company that we co-founded. Um, and then just a little bit of a hint in regards to what we've been using the data for. Awesome, dude, that's a really good intro. Um, yeah, I mean, David's going to just join us. Um, we're we're going to do the usual kind of like um, alpha sharing between all our research. Like we do research literally all week. So, you know, we kind of like have these sessions where we can, you know, share our research and like talk about, you know, some of our opinions and, you know, make some market moves and things like that. So, yeah, I think um, David's going to be obviously a huge help in terms of like, kind of like, um, you know, reading my macro trends and, you know, um, when we are talking about the market and stuff, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, it's pretty free flowing. I don't know if people have joined before so uh let's uh we we have a couple of agenda items that we do want to go through um so luke why don't you um kind of kick us off yeah okay so um we we have yeah, seen a, a pretty good growth here in um moon river i think that's kind of what i'm most interested in here coming up uh which is a evm compatible chain on uh, Kusama on the Kusama relay. And, um, 
me and Viper, Viper just started looking into this and so did I, I started going deep into it last night. Um, and I think there's a lot of strong farming opportunities and, uh, and moon, uh, yeah, moon river right now, uh, just with the leading dexes. Um, so, uh, you know, we kind of have our building blocks, right? So we have the building blocks of a, uh, emerging ecosystem, so it's like a dex, um, a launch pad, um, a yield aggregator, and a lending protocol. Um, so so far on uh, Moon River, there's two strong dexes. Uh, one is going to be Solar Beam, and the other one's going to be Moon Swap, and they both. Uh, Solar Beam does uh, pretty much three-digit APR across the board. So, like, Solar and Mover does, like, 330% APR. And um, Solar USDC does uh, 30 APR. So, um, yeah, I, I personally think we should start to branch out over onto these other chains. And... Um, farm kind of farm as much as strong stuff as we can so like farm the dexes as much as possible and then um with the yield aggregator which would be saturn beam uh they're producing close to like uh 3500 apr right now and their current fully diluted market cap is um I don't know the exact price, but last night it was uh, eleven million dollars fully diluted. So, personally, I'm going to be buying up a lot of these tokens and just farming uh, the crap out of them because. Good idea. Um, yeah, just with the solar beam, the moon swap, and Saturn beam. Um, Saturn Room just released their V2 update, V3 update. And um, yeah, there's only $2 million uh, locked over here. And it really reminds me a lot of like the, um, the Nyon play over on Arbitrum. Like it might not get as hyped because um, it's not really a Ponzi scheme and it might not uh, <laughs> pop off quite like uh, Nyon Finance. But. <laughs> Um, Saturn right now seems like a really strong opportunity just to farm. Uh, and if you look, kick, if you look at like Yield Yak and uh, a couple of these other Yield Yak aggregators, I think eleven million uh, fully diluted valuation is pretty, pretty cheap. Is uh, um, what's the symbol for it? I'm sorry, what was that? What's the symbol for it? Saturn. Uh, sat. Oh, sat. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was seeing on CoinGecko. Um, it's not on CoinGecko yet. Uh, check. Uh, oh, do I want to check CoinMarketCap? Garlem is packing his bags before everyone buys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I gotta get in before everyone else does. Yeah, you guys are gonna be my exit liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so elaborating more on this play and kind of what I see, we've seen uh, like Alameda farm 
uh, like Joe, I think is probably the best example. They were farming Joe for months and they dealt with this huge drawback. Like I think Joe, I don't know the exact price where I would at or, uh, but it IDO'd around like a dollar, let's say. And then it had a big drawback to like 10 cents or even lower than that. Uh, um, but eventually it rallied back up to $3. So yeah. even knowing that we were going to be buying kind of a, a local top, um, yeah. we're going to be farming these, uh, these tokens. And we're going to, even knowing that we're going to deal with a drawback in price, I think it should um, work out in our favor in the long run with these 3,500 APR farms on mm. that's really just a, that's really just mover and sat on uh, Saturn finance. Though, so okay. Yeah. Um, right. So when it comes down to, I guess like these DEXs and these farming platforms, et cetera, is um, I can't comment directly about like Moonswap and these other ones, but because uh, I haven't looked at it, uh, but generally speaking, uh, it's in terms of the play, it's not much different than the other type of plays that have it, happened in the past. Right. And I guess the biggest risk to kind of farming would be just the loss of the token and permanent loss, as well as kind of uh, vulnerabilities on the security. So minus that is when we talk about, I guess, on-chain transactions, because we actually saw PancakeSwap coming, right? So the way that we saw that was uh, when first Binance Smart Chain kind of launched, uh, there was nothing happening there. It was just pretty much like wash trading. Right. Yeah. And because uh, we can see it because we we're because we were talking to the team and then they asked us to plug in. So we plugged in like it just took us like literally like a few hours to kind of plug in. And then we were taking a look at the data and we we're like, OK, there's like not much there, but we were plugged so, in. anyways, Right. And when yep. sorry to cut you off, but when it was just trading, that would have been like prior to September. Right. Yeah. No, uh, this was like in March. Oh, okay. March, yeah. yeah. March, March they had year? nothing. No, March last year. Oh, okay. That was early, early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we plugged in Binance Smart Chain a while back, and then um, we didn't, there was nothing going on, right? And then when, as soon as PancakeSwap launched, there was a ton of stuff that was happening. So if you take a look at it in terms of just on-chain transactions, the growth rate was like exploding. And then it was just going nonstop until, you know, of course, like uh, it came to a point where it was exceeding on-chain transactions on mm -hmm. Ethereum. But even early on, there was so much transactions that it was a little bit too obvious that, you know, whoever owns PancakeSwap made it a conviction to kind of make it something. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you Bye never heads. have that type of flow. Yeah. You never have that type of flow unless it's kind of committed capital for the benefit of the success of the project. I um, agree. It's, yeah. it's, you, that's it's, what it's not, else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, mm -hmm. even if you take a look at DYDX, for example, right? So, DYDX oh, yeah. has been. So DYDX has been happening for a while, but it was only just kind of like recently, you know, things started kind of picking up in terms of just liquidity. 
because as uh, perpetuals type of futures type trader is that you typically just want liquidity at the end of the day. If you can't get liquidity, there's really no reasons why you would use this perpetuals exchange, right? And in the case for DYDX, of course, the timing of the whole regulations was great. But most importantly is that there was a bunch of liquidity that was coming into the system. So for those who don't trade perpetual contracts, just think of it kind of like farming. If there's a lot of you know liquidity pool that's staked, then it's a good sign, right? TVL and things like that. So I'll kind of talk about DYDX a little bit later, but I guess when it comes down to these uh, farming and pools in terms of on-chain transactions, we don't really farm, but we do take a look at a lot of the data that's happening and try to find correlations between a lot of this stuff. But I think a lot of people already know about the correlations in terms of like TVL and things like that. But what's probably most important in terms of edge wise is because you're trying to figure out, okay, you probably want to farm in the beginning when there's good APR and then you're trying to figure out like when to leave, right? And probably the metric that you want to take a look at, in addition to kind of seeing who the whale wallets typically are doing that are farming, and that's what some of the other guys use for nonsense for, is real-time liquidity, right? So if you take a look at, um, like, let's say you go on Uniswap, right? And you take a look at, you know, TVL and things like that. That's all apparent, right? But what's not available is actually, like, real-time liquidity pool. That data is quite difficult to get because it's no one, not, not a lot of people provide. I don't think anybody provides it. So for us, since we actually index like pretty much all the data coming out of the chains, we can actually uh, graph like chart a liquidity pool um, real time, which means that like I can know kind of like trend lines where liquidity pool is going to just like price. Um, so I think when it comes down to these farming stuff, the biggest key question is assuming that like this project is legit and you're going into it is when do you kind to, when do you guys, when you basically start extracting liquidity out of the system. Right. And you know, the two things you probably be looking at is the, what, everybody's looking at today which are the wallets but also taking you should probably take a look at uh real-time liquidity pools on that specific farm right? how do you what so, do you look at that is that is that from nansen no that i don't think nansen has this so then okay we have it um the graph i don't think has it i don't know anybody oh. who has it because not not everybody so not, I mean, we can talk about that later, but not everybody indexes all the data on, like, let's say the chains, right? Because right. there's so much data. So when you start, right? So at least for ourselves, is that we think we've built a platform that indexes a lot of data very fast. And it's primarily because the way that we build our tech stack, well, pretty much Allie, she's on the call. She built everything by herself, but it's built Allie's for uh, big tech. Yeah, so it's our tech stack is built for big tech. It's not like if you try to build uh, speed for crypto, it's very slow. So 
your tech stack doesn't necessarily need to be something that's comparable to what's being offered in traditional tech, right? You know, basically streaming gigabytes of data. So our tech at the end of the day, it was built for big tech in mind. Um, right. So that's why, you know, we cannot only, we can only, we can index on chain, but also index off chain data if we wanted to. So, you know, what we did was because um, last year we were taking a look at this data and again, not all the data was available on some of the other competitor platforms, number one. And we didn't know why, but then number two is when it was slow, it made us realize it's because their tech stack sucks, right? So if the if the perform if they're having performance issues at this speed, it's that's probably why they're not indexing everything. Because if they were indexing everything, it would be even slower and it would crash more often. So that's why it wasn't really good enough for us because we wanted all the data, we wanted all the data real time, and that's why we kind of built. Uh, Nakji. So when it comes down to Nansen, I, they do index, but I don't think they index everything. But they do a good job in indexing the data that appears to be the high-in-demand data, like wallet transfers and all that good stuff. So they're doing all the good stuff. Um, where we try to differentiate ourselves is we focus more on the back-end, back-end, right? So ideally, the guys who are in data analytics or you know coin market cap uh, or you know applications we're basically the data provider to be data provider for all these guys so we don't have any interest in being an analytics player even though we do personally take a look at the data and provide some thought leadership um, our main value proposition is to provide index data on-chain data fast and easy to everyone in the world sounds good yeah i think uh, yeah, yeah I, i'm really looking forward to the platform actually um yeah and what's it called yeah luke let's make sure that we're because i know i remember um i don't know if anyone else remembers this but you know like i i had a lot of like tips from other guys that were like hey like you should kind of start going into pancake swap when it was like a dollar or two and then basically i think when the really like the on-chain volume took off that's when pancakes up really started taking off right so i want to like kind of look at i mean like tech is good um but i also think it's like this whole narrative of like who's pushing what um it really matters in terms of like what takes off in terms of like some of these like ecosystem place and then like the chain place so yeah like i ideally if we can find information um like that for some of these like newer ecosystems um we might be able to get some alpha there but obviously that's like pretty it's pretty abstract i i, I think I, I need to see how we can like I, detail I, that data yeah I think it's easier said than, I mean, it's it actually easier done than said. Because um, I bought a really big bag of cake when cake was about 70 cents. Oh, nice. And then a big bag of, of a big bag of bake when it was two cents. And But uh, it's like, how do we, how do we show this? How do we see the signs, right? Because like, the sign is very easy. You just look, you, yeah. you go to the, 
you go to the uh, blockchain that you're interested in. Yeah. And in my opinion, th- this has never failed me. You go to the two most popular DEXs, right? right? And for Pancakes or for Binance Smart Chain, it was Pancake Swap and Bakery Swap. Right. And see, a lot of people, they'll focus in on the highest TVL, which that's definitely the huge indicator of, hey, this is the token you want to buy um, in any popular blockchain. But you shouldn't sleep on the second most popular because that'll still pump as well. And so that's why Bakery was such a good buy as well because I bought it for two cents and then, you know, long-term play ended up going over $2. Right, and right. So, um, so, like, in my opinion, and I, I've, I've yet to, you know, see it go otherwise – Every time I move on to well, a it's, change, it's, a, it's like, you uh, know, it's phantom. It's, yeah. we, we have lots of Dex plays, but <sighs> Cake is like a very spectacular play, right? Because of not only like it's the highest TVL and, and, and all, but growth curve is what you want to see, right? And growth and TVL, yeah. not only that, because there's so many LMs right now, so <sighs> TVL is not the only thing, right? Big volume and, and uh, ideally user count, right? It's very key. And like, there aren't actually that many platforms that do that. Like, DAP Radar is okay. DeFi Llama is like, um, doesn't have user count, but like, uh, TVL has a lot covered. But still, like, I do change, feel yeah, like, we don't see much. I do feel like there's like all these like breadcrumbs. Like, I can send you guys like the whole, I don't know if I sent you guys like, but there's like this whole analytics that I think Kelvin did way before um pancake took off and basically if we can find those like analytical points um and identify you know like what's you know like kind of like the breadcrumbs then we can start buying them you know like obviously we can do a more rudimentary approach of like okay like well we'll just buy in you know we'll find you know we'll identify like these protocols and then we'll just buy in right well we'll buy in like two best top like the near protocol tv uh you know whatever um but there's so many chains now that you know like if we really want to focus our capital i feel like the best way is to find out like out of like near tezos whatever that hasn't taken off like you know avax um avax took off but yeah like whatever kind of like you know isn't really mainstream yet and then just try to find out okay like is this volume more of like wash trading or like, is it more of like the real on-chain transactions? Right. And like, if that's the case, what are the other factors? What are the other um, kind of breadcrumbs that we can pick up so that we can pick these up like fraction of a cent before they start going up. So, well, and the best part was, is when you, when you do buy in early to these projects, a lot of times they have their own pools and so, for example, Pancake Swap single asset was about seven hundred percent AP uh, APY, I believe. And so, while you get in early, if you're lucky enough to find the gem early, you could farm it as well most of the time, and you know, yeah. almost double or triple your investment. So, yeah. Anyways, um, I'll, I, I think we can circle back on this on a bit later. I do want to talk about like Kusama. I think there's gonna be there's of things happening there um what's it called there's also dydx i really don't want to miss like david's insight on dydx because it's like that's the hottest play right now with like the whole decentralization of like you know everything everyone banning everything 
So yeah, let's just keep on forward. I guess before I move on to GYDX, uh, something that is worth sharing when it comes down to farming um, and the sophisticated like DeFi guys who have like you know over a hundred million dollars worth of farming that's happening. These guys are quite sophisticated, right? So you have to uh, know that when they start farming, it's not as they're just not like putting tokens in and just kind of farming and pulling it out. These guys are pretty sophisticated traders. So uh, some of these guys, what they do is that to kind of protect their downside risk is they actually hedge um, on derivatives contracts and basically capture the, the yield. So just in case, you know, yeah, some, I don't think some people know about this type of um, alpha, but um, there are ways that you can just capture the premium on the, the yield while protecting any sort of downside risk on the token price. Right. So yeah, that's what some uh, of these larger guys do. Talked about this actually before. Yeah. With Viper. Um, yeah. Cause there used to be a time where we were hunting for um, kind of stable farms on, on ETH, but on this at the same time, you know, um, kind of, uh, there's, um, uh, I think it was either a cake or BNB farm on Pancake that was much higher. So, uh, to, uh, so yeah, we looked into kind of, uh, you know, we would open up a, a, a either cake or, or BNB short. Uh, I think it wasn't even a, like that, I think it was actually a vault that had like thirty to forty percent APY or something, and then, um, so we're looking at okay, what what what's the uh, funding you gotta pay right to open that short? Um, what's the average across all the oh, exchanges? The cake strategy we yeah, talked the about. Cake strategy. So like, I think it was like thirty, maybe forty percent APY for a single stake uh, for cake. But um, the funding is just like it still didn't make sense for that um, much, because then you you're kind of putting on double the collateral, right? So whatever the APY is, it's cut in half anyways. Uh, only half that is in the farm. But still, like yeah, I told you, it's um, a lot to think about there. When, when you're farming with a lot, especially right, the TVL of the pool starts to make a lot of more sense uh, than just like the pure APY. Got it. So I guess when it comes down to DYDX, um, Ali and I have been looking at their tech for like a year. And of course, like we were trying to, w I mean, we didn't, ex we didn't really expect the boom to happen as fast as it did. I think it was kind of regulatory driven at the time as well. But when it comes down to exchanges, whether it's a DEX or a centralized exchange, like the big traders only come if there's liquidity, right? So when it comes down to data, um, we personally take a look at the verticals um, and we actually learn the stuff, whether it's NFT, DeFi, or in this case, like, you know, perpetuals and things like that. We actually will kind of test the, the application out. Um, and I think it was... Maybe about four months ago, we started actively playing around with the actual platform, taking a look at the tech stack front end and back end. And for us, it was like pretty much a no brainer. 
um it like everything works um and then we saw the liquidity kind of come in and it's probably because if you take a look at their um calf table there are a lot of, they're all pretty much like market makers right so fat i mean if if you knew about the reward system um like before the airdrop then it would have been a different like you could have made a ton of money so if you take a look at some of the market makers that are in like you know whether it's CMS or Wintermute etc these guys just made a killing just on just playing with the platform these past like in the like the first epic and things like that and i guess i want to talk not so much on the on-chain stuff with a uh, DYDX because it's kind of not so much on-chain because it's like perpetuals but um and liquidity is there uh, but more in regards to like regulatory regime so if you take a look at what's happening in terms of China right so China like pretty much like everything is banned now like it before everything was banned but now the actual businesses that operate in China are being moved out Right, so they're being moved out to Singapore, etc. So previously, it's banned, but like you have like the, all these OTC shops, and you have like these satellite offices. But after the Bitcoin mining, um, now all these guys are being moved out, and the primary reason why it, it it's not so much they are anti Bitcoin is they're anti money laundering, right? So if you just take a look at how much uh, stable coin there is. Like more than fifty percent of that is kind of held by Chinese people. So the last thing the Chinese government wants is kind of money to be moved outside China, especially when you have uh, economic um, stress and things like that. So the reasons why they're so kind of adamant and so like urgent in terms of like moving making this happen is because they just kind of had it in terms of people moving money outside. Um, China, right? When it comes down to stablecoins, and then if you take a look at you know regulations in general in terms of crypto, ever since like last year, I was always with the thought that we'd all be regulated in terms of trading, right? It would just be a matter of time. And then if you kind of fast forward today, you know, even Korea, I think like this week um, they're going to be announcing like the four exchanges that are going to get the licenses. But everyone in the world, you know, I'm with the thought that you're not going to be able to operate a derivative exchange without a license, right? So what does that mean? It means that in terms of the short-term window, um, until they figure out how to kind of block DYDX, is that all the people trading in China, you know, all those people trading in Korea, et cetera, when it comes down to derivatives, because Binance is closing all the accounts, right? So even Hong Kong, right? You, you can't trade on Binance, right? So in the term short, there's really no reasons why a trader would not trade on DYDX because there's enough liquidity there. So as you know, a lot of these countries continue to regulate, which is is kind of the end target and it's kind of it's obvious um there's no re i just don't see any reasons why people would not use um dydx to trade perpetuals number one number two is if you take a look at um 
yeah, Uniswap trading. Of course, there's enough liquidity there. But what's missing when it comes down to spot DEXs is derivatives, right? And if the thing farming and et cetera, is if you want to put them on a derivatives contract, you would have to kind of do it on, on like a centralized exchange prior to, you know, perpetuals and a perpetuals protocol and DYDX. But for the first time, there's enough liquidity on these derivatives contracts that now you can do things like farming and hedge on a decentralized exchange without moving coin to an exchange and getting held up and things like that. So there's definitely huge benefits to doing on-chain perpetuals contracts um, in addition to just kind of like gambling and that kind of bit. But of course, like non-KYC, but also in terms of introducing new type of trading and hedge strategies uh, that are connected with the existing spot DEX platforms. So for our for nice. ourselves, it's really regards to regulatory. There's I just can't think of any reasons why any of the governments are not going to crack down on all the um, derivatives exchanges in the world, right? The reason why is because right. the smart money is in crypto, right? So you saw that happening last September when you had like Guggenheim, um, um, all these kind of smart money funds kind of come in. And then now you have all like wealth management uh, a few months ago uh, of all the investment banks started setting up their Bitcoin arms to kind of sell Bitcoin. The next step is for the investment banks to start trading Bitcoin because once these guys have a good grasp of the market in terms of where the money flow is, because previously, okay, Goldman Sachs, J.B. Morgan, they don't really control the market, number one. And number two, their customers are not the Bitcoin buyers and sellers. So it would they don't know what's going to happen in Bitcoin. Who knows what's going to happen to Bitcoin? The biggest exchanges in the world, right? Because they see all the flow. But now once, you know, the investment banks are introducing the products to their clients, and these are high net worth individuals, they'll have a better sense in regards to if the Bitcoin's going to go up or not because their clients are buying it, which means now they have a competitive edge in terms of trading it. But at the same time is that they're not going to trade on an unregulated exchange whereby they they're not they don't they're not they're basically handicapped versus like the other guys. So since they're pretty much in bed with the government, you can they're pretty much kind of pushing their narrative in terms of this needs to be regulated. And that's kind of like why you see all this kind of stuff happening globally at the same time is because Wall Street is already trading it and they want to trade more of it because now they're getting more intel in terms of flow and in regards to like forecast of what it's going to do they want to basically make money off of it right so when it comes down to dydx you know at least for the time being it's kind of hard to kind of shut it down um, other than ip banning is that everyone in like china is trying to figure out how to kind of trade. And I think there's been a lot of talks from McDovey and these other girls who uh, have a close ear to China, but you know they're all kind of moving to spot DEXs. But again, they all want to trade um, perpetuals. And I think a lot of that money is kind of right. flowing in. Um, so then we're quite bullish 
on DYDX. Uh, there's a lot of FUD in regards to the token use case in terms of it's just a governance token. At the same time... Um, <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that yesterday. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a governance token. So it's, a lot of people say it's like useless, number one. Number two is the whole equity structure of the company, how the investors are getting like, um, like in a sense, dividends, right? Um, off of the uh, the fees, et cetera. Um, like, so that one, there's some fun in regards to that. But at the end of the day, the people who are trading don't really care, right? So the biggest problem right now is if you're in Asia is, okay, how do I trade uh, you know, perpetuals uh, without getting dinged on KYC and having enough liquidity. And there's really not many options out there. So these guys don't could care less about the DYDX token. That's a bonus for them in terms of getting these rewards. First and foremost is they need a place where they can basically trade efficiently with liquidity um, without worrying about the other kind of problems. The, the token itself is just a bonus. So what will happen is that you'll see the volume and liquidity on DYDX continue to grow. And then they'll probably sell, sell the narrative in regards to, oh, you know, we're bigger than Coinbase now, you know, and then people will just kind of buy the token because it's just, just tied to it. So I wouldn't get too hung up on the whole like token use case and things like that because... If you take a look at a lot of the top coins, it's not really based on that kind of stuff, right? It's really based on kind of like narratives um, and just popularity. Bullish. Super nice. bullish. So what about these other derivative exchanges? Um, or is it just mainly DYDX? That's, uh, so the other one we just looked at was like Perpetual's Protocol. We haven't looked right. at it in detail. I mean, we we, oh, start, we started looking at DYDX and DYDX only because of their backers, right? They have some pretty big heavyweight market maker backward, uh, backers as well as these funds, including CMS and all these other guys. Is And again, when it comes down to a lot of successful projects, it's not necessarily like the best projects kind of get um, all the money. Um, it's really behind in terms of exchanges is where the money goes to. Cause when it comes down to exchanges, it's all about liquidity. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that's why we didn't really take a deep dive into perpetual protocol only because when it comes down to all these other big market makers, et cetera, they're playing today in DYDX because they have incentives. So they earn dividends on equity, right? Um, they also earn rewards um, on kind of like holding positions as well as market making. So it's really no reasons why they would kind of move, remove that flow. But I guess the only kind of turning point might be is if too many people come and play on DYDX, since that pool money that's available every month gets distributed to more people, then they start. Um, it's kind of like DeFi farming where basically more people, you're kind of earning a less percentage. So there might be a, a certain point where their upside starts to get limited and they start participating in like other perpetual protocols, right? Um, so that might start happening because we saw, um, I think Ali can talk a little bit about this, but uh, we saw something happen last week on Perpetual's protocol. 
Ali, are you on the call? Because I think you started sharing charts on the market's data on perpetuals on DYDX. Uh, it's like six in Korea. Yeah, I don't. I don't oh, remember. Ali, a week is a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a week is like a year, dude. Okay, so so I'll, yeah, but, um, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll, something. Yeah, go ahead. So it, basically, what Ali saw because we were taking a look at this stuff, and um, this is right when like Epic ended around the near time. Is all of a sudden liquidity dried up, right? So. That makes us think that a lot of the market makers were just basically kind of trading for the sake of getting the rewards from Epic, the first Epic. And all of a sudden, around the same time, they kind of pulled out around the same time that the market tanked. Right. And if you take a look at some of the charts within DYDX, it was kind of like kind of wicking back and forth, like mini weeks, which means that. Like there was like liquidity kind of got removed from the system. And again, like right now, I haven't taken a look at it, but I think it came back in, but a lot of that money came back in from um, the trading competition. So Ali, Ali, is that, is there anything else that you saw? I think that was, cause you saw that happening. I think it was like last weekend you shared some charts yeah no it was um you can see it on the chart on didex um it's like just yeah wicks up and down it lasted for a couple hours um but i think they came back in but yeah is that what people are calling it didex Oh, I don't know. That's just how I call it in my head because uh, I, I don't really talk about it. So. <laughs> that's actually that's so much easier. Didex instead of DYDX. <laughs> so many fucking syllables in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. Yeah, I mean, while David was talking, DYDX just went up like three percent. So. <laughs> David, Damn it, let me buy my bags before you talk. Doing well, David. You're bumping it. No, 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 no. So I'll give you guys some I, alpha. Um, besides the whole like just aiding into yes. DYDX, again, these are kind of like conservative. Like I don't like uh Ali and I are very conservative, right? So the thing is is that right yes. now, like earning rewards on trading on DYDX is very um lucrative right so that window is like starting to kind of slowly close because just like farming when more people come in it kind of closes but i mean i was even surprised about like my airdrop that i got like the the previous epic because i wasn't even really trading i was basically just i helped i put on a, a position right and mm-hmm. um you know i was making money off funding rates as well as uh, just the position itself. But if you're earning rewards just by holding a big position, right? So think about you put on a million dollar position short, right? On DYDX, because it's typically like positive funding rate. So you get, you get, you get, you get rewards from being because of the funding rate, number one. And number two is since you're holding a large positions at the end of the Epic, you'll earn DYDX tokens, right? So if you want to be kind of like market neutral, so in case like you're on the wrong side, what you can do is also you can put a sh- uh, 
a long position on an exchange, right? So what that does is you're just purely earning DYDX tokens for your open positions. But of course, you don't want to maximize your leverage because you get liquidated. But from a conservative standpoint, so let's say you just did like, you know, one-to-one ratio, you're basically earning DYDX tokens for free on the Epic, right? So if you wanted to do oh, it, right. then of course, like, yeah, like you're earning the double amount of tokens. But so that's kind of like, uh, I, that's probably what the market makers are doing, um, like Wintermute and CMS. Right. But this is something that anybody can do. If you have like cash on the sidelines that it's like, oh, like I think the market's, you know, not a bull market yet. This is kind of another type of farming type of trading scenario, right? You just kind of like short on DYDX and you long on like, let's say a derivative exchange. Um, and then you just kind of do that for the month. And But you want to make sure that you're kind of covered for the month. You don't want to get liquidated, right? But yeah. I mean, DYDX yeah. tokens have gone up like almost 3x now. So I don't know like yeah. at how much higher it's going to go, but... You know, like let's say it stays around like twenty dollars at least. That's still a lot of rewards that you could be making like per month for free, and that's better interest than you staking USD eight, for eight so percent on the year. Yeah, Brian uh, highlighted something about these perps. Uh, he says that uh, people see the success of DYDX, and then market makers will come into protocols like uh, like perp uh, perpetuals. And then help out with the order books. Um, but he says that right now, uh, DYDX uh, just has a deep liquidity uh, on, yeah, just deep liquidity on chain. Um, yeah, if I if I butchered that. No, um, no, that's true. Like that's what David was mentioning as well, right? Like it's it's yeah. it's like literally just literal liquidity. It's a liquidity game for exchanges and. They have big backers, so like I'm guessing they pulled in all their like market making connections to start providing liquidity there. That's what I'm really bullish on the ideas. I mean, it's like you know, like David just like told like, oh, if you have cash left on the side, dude. While David was talking, I bought more DYDX, so I don't have cash left on the <laughs> side anymore. Um, yeah, and uh, DeFi Brian, you should have an invite. Uh, you have to be on mobile though to speak if you want to pop up for a little bit. Yeah. Um. Dude, yeah, that's a really good alpha on DFDS. Um, I almost wanted you for us to do like a research and like a report on DIDX, like all the different order books and like you know what whatever's going on, like liquidity and you know like what play internet for like um Arbitrum, maybe like micro you know narrow that down to maybe just like one project DIDX, or okay. maybe we could do it for like Texas. But I think that could be really good. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think currently what we're going to be working on here, like this coming, uh, like Friday and in, in the weekend, is we're going to be posting a lot of these are uh, uh, Moon River plays. So like the 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 dexes that I just talked about and whatnot, we're going to do a thread on that, and then we'll follow up with a DYDX. Uh, yeah. Thread. Yeah. See if we can push out some good content. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll be really good content. And then yeah, like David's in our group now, so like feel free to ask him, you know, like anything that he might have seen so that we can like kinda like have more confidence information there. Okay, sweet. I'm just gonna Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, one one of the risk areas of DYDX is 
becoming too famous. Um, so when you become too famous in this space, whether you're an exchange protocol, the app, the, your competitors attack you, right? So a few days ago, I think it was four days ago, I think DYDX got attacked, right? It was about a 15-minute yeah. window where you couldn't refresh, you couldn't get any data. You couldn't see your positions, you couldn't trade, etc. I don't think they provided an update in regards to what happened. Um, if I had to guess, it was basically the centralized exchanges attacking them. Because again, as a centralized exchange, you're seeing basically all the money leave your wallet. <laughs> you're probably tracking yeah. where it goes to because you can see everything that's on chain. And if you start seeing massive amounts going all back to DYDX, what do you do about it, right? So what do you do about it? You attack it DDoS, right? And then show that, you know, you know uh, DEXs are not safe. Which is often the argument that CEX make is, oh, like, you know, you know, like, you know, these, these DEXs all get hacked and all this kind of stuff. So I think that you'll actually see a lot more of that. And, you know, I don't know. I haven't done a DD on their security and tech stack. But um, when it comes down to, like, all the exchanges, they all get DDoS attack and then they all go down at the same time. It's hard for me to imagine that it can't happen to DYDX, but hopefully, you know, they'll kind of uh, hire like the best in talent to kind of protect themselves. But that's probably not the first rodeo. Like, I'm pretty sure like whoever's like, if, if, if that was an attack, they're going to keep on attacking them for like forever because it's like a survivor, survivability, right? For these centralized exchanges because... For the first time, and again, like for the people on this call, like I'm not trying to say, you know, use DYDX, use any, I mean, I haven't used the other ones, but just use DYDX. Like there's really, unless you're trading like $30 million plus, if you're just trading like less than a million dollars, there's really no reasons why to trade on a centralized exchange because of the liquidity and the uh, rewards that you get. So, yeah be mindful of the so, risk with with this china ban uh we have seen massive outflows to these uh decentralized exchanges right are we seeing um with your data david are we seeing more like a lot of the, uh china users like selling off their positions in their tokens or are they uh taking their positions off chain and then trading on uh dydx you're or saying providing liquidity or yeah so that kind of information i don't i don't know right because okay it, like it, unless i'm the exchange i don't know if people are selling their assets because um, they're trying to stable out before they transfer out or they're just trading at the end of the day. So I, I, I don't have that information, um, but we do have some... We need to get someone from school be here. But we do have some data points in regards to the, uh, the amount of money that's kind of... You can just take a look at the liquidity pool in terms of DYDX, in terms of how that massively has grown. Right. It's and and it's just not that it's the order book that so when it comes down to exchanges, you want to take a look at two things. Number one is like liquidity and number two is order book depth. Um, those are the two most things that you should take a look at as a trader. 
And, you know, that's why DYDX is basically shilling those two numbers. Um, they're old, the, the, both those numbers are quite strong. Um, so that's why, yeah. you know, as, as a trader, it's very hard to find reasons why you would trade on a centralized exchange. And centralized exchanges understand this for the first time because they're like, oh my gosh, they have so much liquidity. So it's like they can, a lot of these centralized exchanges, exchanges can go zero overnight. So um, they're, they're, they're very worried. But at the same time, because of that reason, is you want to be aware that they will probably continue to be attacked by whoever's attacking them. Makes sense. Um, Sorry, just, yeah, uh, let's maybe... I just wanted to ask a little bit. Like, uh, so, so, okay, so we, we know the, um, the, the really strength here for DYDX is uh, liquidity and we're both right, so you don't, but it's great for trading. But where um, is that, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Like, what resulted in that? Is it just the um, DYDX rewards of, you know, um, people seeing that and they have a very well-designed, you know, incentive structure and at the same time their token is going up in price right now? And what if, you know, DYDX price kind of hits its peak and then um, all of a sudden the rewards aren't going, like, if you want up anymore while, you know, TVL goes up and if you want goes down, like, would you, would we be able to see, like, some other protocol with similar tokenomics design, like, start to tick against uh, DYDX in liquidity? Or is there something else that's, uh, you know, their backers are just committed? Well, I, I think it's more in regards to the last point in terms of uh, backers being committed. So 3AC, for, first and foremost. So okay. it, I guess it depends on, like, who the user is. Uh, the initial reasons why it was success is, I mean, the reasons why they came into the ecosystem is because of the rewards, right? As a as a market maker or as some of these big traders, it's like free money for them, right? So the thing is, is that once these guys come in and bring the liquidity, then all everyone else kind of comes in. Um, and they're really more mainly coming in, I think, for the trading rather than for the rewards. I mean, if you take a look at the pool, I think most of the tokens are being distributed to like the biggest guys market makers big traders etc not so much kind of like your retail guys i think the retail guys are coming in mainly for um just being able to trade um so i hopefully that answers uh, your question in regards to the whole like liquidity and why people are joining in terms of top offs so um I mean, regardless of the project, if you take a look at some of these uh, big investors, like these funds, they typically, when they come in big, they don't, like, come in and leave. Like, some of these, like, small DeFi farms, they come in and leave, like, very quickly, like, within the month. These guys most likely aren't going to leave anytime soon. And there's a couple of reasons why is because Bullish. number one is... The the way they invest is they pick a few high conviction and they it's just kind of like, right? basi they basically push it for the entire year. Yeah. Right. 
And if you take a look at some of the really successful projects out there, it's because these backers will kind of pick a few and just kind of hold long run. Number two is also because these guys have so much of DYDX token. So if they were to exit, it just would kind of die at the end of the day because they're so big. So it doesn't make sense for them to kind of exit so early on. I mean, the token just launched, right? So it's better for them to kind of just wait, like let's say six months to a year so that you know there's enough bit more liquidity and more people that have bought the token trading the token before they basically start exiting their positions if you just take a look at the the cap table plus the rewards that these guys have it's a lot so it's not to point where oh like they don't want to exit like 50 mil or etc it's more in regards to if they exit it, like uh, there's not much that they'll get slippage and things like that. So it's better to kind of exit at a higher number. It's just like NFTs, right? So these NFTs of this going super high price, but you know, I think you know we can all agree that you know most of that trading is wash trade. So they pump it so high to the point where when it drops fifty percent, like a retail guy comes in and says, "Oh, it's fifty percent off. I'm going to buy it." Right? But these guys will mark it up so much. So that the guy buys it at fifty percent off, even though that fifty percent off is is a, is a super high price. So NFTs is an extreme case scenario of kind of like how they do this kind of uh, pumping. But when it comes down to whether it's an NFT or if it's like a token, it really all comes down to liquidity and how much money they have of that token. So. If they have a lot of it, then they need to wait a lot longer time to be comfortable with um, exiting big size in a longer time frame. Yeah, that makes sense. Just like some Bullish. others, too, they're committed. So then, like, depending on these guys are huge. So typically, like, if they're committed, they're not going to be. Like, we know everyone's there to make money, but for them to them committed meaning like even if some of us are the narrative the is there yeah they just kind of have to stick to the ones that they pick well it really comes down to alpha right so these guys only care about alpha which means that if there's another perpetuals protocol that provides better incentives and good amount of liquidity and the, the security is safe there's no reasons why they wouldn't start divesting out into that other platform but you know, for myself and Ali, we haven't taken a deep dive into Perpetual's protocol yet. Um, the only reason why is because of all the big backers behind DYDX. But again, if there's another platform offering better incentive mechanisms, you know, everybody chases yield, especially like in DeFi farming. So it just really depends on this landscape and scenario. Today, it looks pretty good, DYDX, but of course, like the rewards are starting to shrink as more and more people participate, which means it increases the chance that some of these guys start divesting out. But at least for right now, you know, it seems pretty solid. We haven't seen any data mm -hmm. points that will suggest that mm -hmm. they will start moving elsewhere. Cool. Uh, uh, also, keep in mind that some of these large players are invested in in several of these. Um, so I know for a fact that like there are a couple large investors 
um, who invested in both Perp as well as DYDX, Didex. Uh... Yeah, um, another thing to keep in mind is that um, just the underlying technology, right? Like with Stark decks, so um, with Didex, which is built on Stark decks, um, Starkware, it's entirely anonymous, whereas with Perp, um, the earlier versions, actually, I'm not sure if the Arbitrum version has launched yet, but um, the previous version um, is built on XDI, which is not anonymous. So you could theoretically track um, trades like right. for a specific user. And so I think that's a really big difference. Um, if, if you're a large player, on a perpetuals exchange like you don't want anyone to track you so um that could also be a, a reason why one is a, like one of these exchanges is attracting more liquidity than another um but i would also say like these two products aren't exactly comparable just because one is virtual amm um so you don't really have an order book whereas the other one is order book so Yep. Yeah, I feel like um, I think this is like one of the things that I want to start exploring like a little bit early when we're doing layers is that like with this regulation like the uh, move towards kind of like a privacy side uh, sorry, move towards like the decentralized side and you know everyone like the whales trying to cover up their positions and you know trying to cover up their alpha I feel like privacy is going to be a big narrative that's coming up. Um, I don't think it hit the, you know, like hit the mainstream yet. I do feel like we're going to have like a privacy narrative that's kind of similar to what happened to like the DeFi summer um, and the um, the GameFi narrative that we had for a bit. So, yeah, I think it would be really interesting if we could start kind of like going into um, exploring some of those topics there, see who's doing what. Um, who's, who's experimenting what, what where's the uh, you know where the current tech is is it usable is it still just a tornado cache or is it a lot more than that you know I think that'll be really interesting for us to kind of like build out into yeah uh, me too yeah so let's see that yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I think this is a good place to round it off today uh, and um, yeah so uh, thank you, David Kim, for coming on, and thank you, Ali, um, for waking up this early too, and and for uh, coming on also. Um, we definitely got a lot of alpha uh, out of this, so we talked about uh, yeah, Moon you River. guys rocket, yeah, Moon River, the uh, ecosystem, kind of some tips on farming and um, some plays around farming, and um, then we moved on to perpetuals, uh, mainly DYDX and. Uh, why it's kind of why David thinks it's undervalued, uh, it's sort of undervalued, I guess you could argue. And, um, <laughs> I don't think I just didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to just say that outright. So, um, it sounds, it sounds, uh, like, uh, DYDX has a pretty strong future, is what I think. And, um, I think I'm going to be buying some myself after hearing David. So, I think that's a better way to rephrase that. Um, and then, 
Yeah. And then we talked about perpetuals after that, um, perpetual protocol a little bit. Um, anything I missed? No, yeah, maybe um, before um, maybe before we also end the call, uh, maybe Allie can just provide uh, a quick intro about herself. Okay, yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, sure. Okay, so um, I, I have an engineering background, went to school at Carnegie Mellon for electrical and computer engineering, so have a background in, in hardware, um, have worked in like all throughout the stack. So um, from FPGA basics all the way up to front end development. Um, and got into crypto 2017, 2016, 2017. Um, doing a lot of technical due diligence with several funds. Um, did that for a couple of years, investing individually, etc. And then uh, lots of trading. Um, back in, well, last year, uh, in the past few years, actually, I've been building a lot of tools just in terms of like data, analyzing data, um, trading tools for myself. And last year, it, um, David and I were talking and we decided that we should probably uh, combine efforts in terms of data, like tooling and all that stuff and start Nakji. So yeah, that's like one of the reasons why we started Nakji at that time. So now I'm pretty much focused full-time on this project. 